So on today's interview, we have Alain Reed from Humanity. She was an entrepreneur turned Humanity soul leader who helps entrepreneurs, C-suiters, and inventors who want clarity to lead from their soul. Hi, Alan. How are you? I am well. Thank you for having me. Oh, I'm so glad that you're on our show today to talk about leading soul leadership and leading from your soul. But before we get into having that conversation, I just want to talk a little bit about your movement called Womanity. What is Womanity? Womanity is where woo and humanity meet. Amazing. Uh, Yes. So in the work that I do with executives and mentors and high-achieving individuals and personalities. They are building their dream life and they want it to count more than the paper it it looks on. It's about soul-deep level fulfillment and satisfaction. And part of that is getting to know who they are on an energetic, esoteric, you know, soul level, basically. And some of that is kind of (laughs) woo. Humanity is where people like this are, are like-minded people who are into their woo, very also into their humanity come together. Amazing. And so when you talk about leading from the soul, why don't we talk about what is the soul first? So that way people understand there's a difference between soul and spirit. It can be interchangeable, soul and spirit. And what it is, is this the aspect of you that was there before kindergarten got a hold of you, before your parents got a hold of you, before your siblings got a hold of you and told you how to be, before social media got a hold of you, before the likes got a hold of you, before you know numbers got a hold of you and said, this is how you need to live in order to bring in XYZ. So this aspect of all of us really is the one that is in touch with the universe and the divine collective that is always around us. And so I guess one of the questions that always comes up is why operate from the soul? People operate from so many other different places, but why is it really important for all of us to operate from our souls? Operating from our souls is important because it is an invitation for the people around you to also be who they really are. And that means really living in their potential and in their talent. Like you ever see people who are working with you or maybe for you and they're whatever the capacity is, it could be sales, it could be a creative department and you see that talent right there and you're just like, unleash it, go, right? Except they're not patched into that. And so you feel this like, oh, it's, it's a bit like you want it more than they do. But it's not that they don't want it. It's just there's just other layers on top of the soul <laughs> that clouds that potential. And so leading from the soul means you, you yourself first is in touch with the complete potential of you, that you are comfortable with the light that is you and that is the shadow of you. And that is an invitation for other people to do the same for themselves and contribute to a collective goal or creation or invention in a really maxed out way. So when you talk about there being layers on the soul that prevent people from leading from their soul or moving through their soul, what, what are those layers? Are they like emotional blockages or... They can be emotional blockages if 
you've become a leader recently or promoted and you're now managing people, you're probably doing a major crash course in all the leadership styles out there, right? And the thing is, that's all nice and great, but that's somebody else's leadership style. Like you have your own signature and that's yours alone. I don't know that there's really any book from that and it's unique to you. And so, yes, can it be emotional blockages? Sure, it can be emotional blockages because perhaps in the past, you know, in your history somewhere, in your story, you took on a leadership role and you were shunned, poo-pooed, or it didn't work out. So you have some apprehension about how that can work out. So these are things that even though they're just memory or learnings, they affect how we function in the present. And so this is what I mean by the layers that can be from the soul, the one that's just present with the moment and that you trust and that you're in constant engagement with. Well, there's, there is a quote I came across by Lisa Nichols. And just to lend to something that you said there, where she said, failure is your fuel. Failure is the manure that grows the seed of your success. Unexpected for now that you need for your forever. And based upon what you said there, when you were talking about people that go through, they were in a leadership role prior and then all of a sudden, you know, something happened that then leads to them moving forward with apprehension. You know, I guess, how would you share with them or unhinge them from that apprehension? I would say that I would also take a look at it because this counts for people who have had successes as a leader. Okay. Mm -hmm. If you have success one time, second time, for those people, apprehension still exists. One is like, oh my God, can I pull that off again? I'm a little bit tired. I don't want to go through that again. That was a lot of work, you know? So there's, it doesn't matter really whether it's, it's failure or success. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess, would it be a better to say that apprehension is more of fear-driven and uncertainty is probably more, you're somebody, somebody can still be afraid, but move forward, right? And so I think maybe it's, it's not so much putting some sort of condemnation on it, it's just allowing it to be that apprehension is what it is. And it's a part yes. of the formulation of uncertainty. Yes. And apprehension is always going to be there. But what's behind the apprehension? Right. And that's why I was saying, is it fear yes. or is it... Because I know I like I can share from my own personal experience with everything that I share with you with our new launch this year and all of the myriad of different offerings, our value offerings that we're offering now through our company. I have uncertainty. And I will share this. The uncertainty I'm super excited by is the first place time in my life that I've ever felt unsure of myself, fearful a bit, and even insecure. And I'm transparent enough to share that as a leader. You know, I'm leading through all of this, but I'm still moving forward, right? And I don't know what's around the next corner. And it reminds me of when I first started my business. And the more entrepreneurs that I've been speaking to, regardless of where you are in the game, whether you are starting a new business or somebody that has a nine-figure business, you there are times and there's incarnations in your business where you have to start over or it feels like a starting over point. This is true. And frankly, I applaud you and admire you and all the all the entrepreneurs out there because we all carry that with us, right? Mm-hmm. This uncertainty. And it isn't a sign of fear. Uncertainty is a reality, actually. Mm-hmm. 
That's it a good way to look at it. It. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it is what it is. There are people who think they're certain, who is really what? Delusion. <laughs> there is no certainty. Okay. So if anything, you have a grasp of what is really happening and that is called uncertainty. Now, the fear, the insecurity, all of that is really just an attempt of our subconscious to control the future. The only thing about the future we know is that it's coming. How it's going to look and all of that, like we can co-create it, we can affect it, but we can't really control it. <laughs> well, that I agree with for sure. I guess, so, yeah. how does one access their soul then? Okay. So one, okay. The, how one accesses their soul. One, first of all, I'd like to just ease the thing off of, you know, you, you know, that saying, that phrase, the loss, you know, people are lost and they're a lost soul. Nobody's a lost soul. We all have a soul. We've just not been taught to be aware that we have one, one. And two, we're not taught that we could listen in. So there's no school, you know, class in kindergarten that's how to be a human (laughs) when we first get here. And where we would learn, you know, that, hey, you're a soul and this is how we work. You're in a human body. These are your senses. It's in your vehicle. And how you get in, in touch with it is to neutralize the charges of the stories you carry. So it's fair to say that a lot of your, our listeners are entrepreneurs and are probably adults, unless there are younger entrepreneurs like, hey, hello. But there are stories we carry that we have lived through. And those stories tend to take up room in our hard drive. <laughs> and until we offload some of those stories, then there's not really much space to listen for the soul. And it doesn't matter if the story's bad or good or just a mundane story. You can have the memory of something, but no longer hold as much space in your hard drive. No, I agree with that. I think the one part is is what you already alluded to, is that we are living in a world right now where it's very hard for people to drown out anything, even when they're in silence. I feel that's partially why when I talk to some entrepreneurs, they're very high performing at the wee hours of the morning because the earth is still. No one's humming, nothing's buzzing. And they feel that they can execute some of their best work. It's either the wee hours of the night. And I've seen this even with myself, you know, around if I'm up past 11 o'clock, but like around that one o'clock to three in the morning, I find that I'm buzzing. If I go to sleep at my actual time and wake up around the time I usually do around four or five, I find that I execute on a very high level. And then I can like jump in when I get into the office. And I feel it's because we almost have the stillness. Do you think it's because we have the stillness to really become in tune with our soul to access and to listen to our soul? Yes, because in those wee hours, there's nothing to respond to. Those wee hours, you can just be. And if you allow yourself to not have the stimulation of you know all our electronics and our to-do lists, you're there. And it's just a matter of, are you willing to commune with yourself and listen and just get a gauge? Where are you? How are you? What do you want to create? What are you creating? Is your personal optimum in alignment with the global health? You know, these are things that you can tune into because the world is so still in those wee hours. 
Agreed. Agreed. Now, have you found, I know you and I have talked about in the past about the power of being. And so meditation, how does meditation fit into connecting with the soul? You know what? It's one of the ways to connect with the soul. I am a reformed meditator or Mm -hmm. anti-meditator in the sense that I resisted meditating for the majority of my life. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I was determined to be able to know who I was and be in touch with my soul and not have to do the meditating thing. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And because of that rebelliousness, I found there are actually different ways that you can have meditation so that like life is a meditation. So cleaning can be a meditation. When I'm doing when I'm enlisting someone's assistance to do healing work on me in the past. Now I know how to do it for myself, but in the past I used to have a tab, you know, and like all these healers that would work on me and my blocks, right? And that was a way for me to listen and patch in. I also grew up in the Philippines. There was not very much outside influence in my world. Like we, mm-hmm. it was, I lived in poverty. I played in the forest, really. My brother was born with a brain tumor and part of his healing, we would go and see these women mystics up in the mountains. My grandmother belonged to this community of women who are shamans and mystics and I'd have to accompany them to take him up there for healing. And I watched, you know, a lot of, in essence, magic and shamanism go down and understanding that these women were dialoguing with these people's souls into, in order to understand the ailments that they were working with. In my world back then, like people didn't quote unquote meditate. <laughs> well, I just think it's so interesting that you're sharing this now because you and I have known each other for a while. And what you were talking about with shamans and growing up in nature, that was my life, right? Yeah. You grow up outside of the city. Even if you're in North America, you, you know, you're, I'm in a smaller city. So all there was was greenery farms and nature. Like I spent a lot of time in the forest. So now I actually understand your story about how you became the first Filipina to summit Mount Kilimanjaro because yes. because you were used to climbing the mountain. I yes. didn't know that. Okay, so this makes sense. <laughs> yeah. This makes yeah. sense. Yeah, you know, it's so funny. I get that invitation and yeah, I'm like, okay, yeah, I'll do it. And it was like, all right, here's the training and the thing. And here's the, you know, what you got to do in order to be, to be fit enough to go up there. And I was like, I'm not doing any of that. (laughs) But I just find it astounding how it's so true, like how your childhood really shapes your future. Because when you think about, it it was probably funny to you when you rediscovered yourself, because I know I had this moment where I was like, oh my gosh, I am actually re- returning to the very things that I was taught as a child. Like when you mentioned shamanism, a lot of naturopathy, homeopathy, a lot of these very holistic methods of healing and becoming connected to one. Like I walk in the forest every day. That's, I have a forest surrounding my home. That's what I do. That's an amazing practice. That's a meditation. Walking mm-hmm. is a meditation. Yeah, so, it is. How does meditation fit? You know, it fits. I have a client that, runs a very high profile entrepreneurial organization. And he, would, he used to tell me like in social occasions, yeah, I meditate, I meditate. And I kept thinking, why is he so cluttery? Like his, like he's everywhere, right? I'm like, uh-huh. I don't get it. He keeps telling me he's meditating. Shoot, this meditating thing doesn't work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Finally, I sat down, I said, hey, so like, what are you doing your meditations? He's like, well, I just make sure like, I get to a point that I don't 
think. Like, there's no thoughts. And I was like, so you're fighting with your mind. <laughs> so that is initially what he, that's exactly what he's doing. <laughs> that is exactly it. And this is when I decided, to, I'm like, you know what? This is a disservice to people who are meditating and think that's all there is to do. I'm sure there are more. And so I learned a bit that there are working meditations, there's visual meditations, and not just sitting there and have no thought because your brain wins, okay? Don't fight with your brain. <laughs> well, no, I, I'm in agreement there with you. I know that my soulmate, he, he meditates daily, but he was also a monk. So he was trained to do that, right? And still very much lives that way and implements that way. And so a part of when people, a lot of Westerners, when they attempt to implement meditation, they're using it as a form of escape of escapism. Yeah. I always say it's like they're looking to escape themselves. We're not understanding meditation is about recentering. It's not about escaping. It's restorative if it's, if it's practiced effectively. The biggest detriment in our Western culture is that no one has been taught how to implement it effectively. You know, the, the, the depictions that they give are just, you know, people sitting somewhere in the middle of a park or the middle of some place and just cross-legged and arms in the, in, at the side and humming. And, and it's like, okay, let's slow down here. There's so many different ways that you can meditate. Um, and you're right. That is misinformation because what, what mm-hmm. I see that and I'm like, oh, look at that. Somebody who's plugged out of life. Right. And that's not what meditation is supposed to do. You're, it's supposed to tune you back into life. Exactly. That's why I'm saying it's restorative. And, and that's the part that I feel that people are missing with this. Meditation is supposed to be restorative, not something. And that's partially why people cannot implement it and, ha- and develop the habit with it consistently because it doesn't feel, it's not what you talked about leading from their soul or it's not something that comes natural. I walk because I was an avid walker when I was a child. And so being in the forest and having stillness and getting that great oxygen in my head is a total natural remedy for my ADD. It to- like I can't even tell you about the laser precision focus I have after walking in the forest for an hour and coming in and sitting down. I'm slower, I move more methodically, like everything just happens. When I don't have that, I'm scatterbrained. I can't, I, like fairness, prayer is another way that I get centered too. If, if I don't have, have some of these things, I'm scattered and it's hard for me to get focused. I completely agree and identify with that. And I know many of our your listeners are having the same experience. Yeah, for sure. And so then how does, after all of the stuff that we've talked about, like how does that translate into soul leadership? Because I think we've already touched on parts of it. And then why don't we define what is soul leadership? So soul leadership is one that encompasses the entirety of you. The way most people are operating right now is based on knowledge. And knowledge is a function of the mind and the brain. These are, you know, things like how you do this. When this happens, you do this. And to some extent, you're going to have to do that. There are labor laws, right? For example, (laughs) that we stay within. And on the other side of that, there are people who function completely from the heart. And these people are a lot more responsive with their emotions, and live through life using feelings. Being concentrated in either one of these instead of the integration of them is where most people get caught and get caught up. Because if you think of leadership in an organization as an airplane Mm -hmm. and there is the cockpit 
And the cockpit has a ton of gauges to get you to do your next thing, right? There's one for the weather, you know, the wind, the clouds, all of that. And on a human level, there's a gauge for the brain. There's a gauge for the heart. There's a gauge for the skin, the stomach, the intestines. But most of us are literally using the brain gauge or just the heart gauge to get to the thing. (laughs) Instead of zooming out and realizing that there's entire dashboard. Oh, and there's a windshield, a cockpit. But hey, there's a chair for me to sit in, which is your soul. Mm-hmm. And the soul takes what? Looks at all the gauges, looks at where you're going, the trajectory, and takes the data from the gauges, like your brain, your heart, your gut, and makes decisions from there all the time. Like a pilot makes a million decisions and course corrections from A to B. Even though it looks like a straight line, even you know, when we're looking at that screen in front of us that tells us the our flight status, if you look at that on a micro level, we're it's always jagging. And that is what soul leadership is. It's not that you rely completely on the brain to live or actually just using the brain to live. It's not that you're using only your heart to live or lead. It's that you are using both, you're integrating both, including all the input that is around you. Yeah, so what it is, is is that it's using everything that you have and listening to your intuition and being open to creating from a place of intention is is what I'm gathering from you. Yes, and really creating based on real-time data, not a data set that was decided upon a minute ago, two minutes ago, seven years ago. It's based on the data that's in front of you right then, right now. Define that a little bit more for some of our listeners that are not familiar with data set. Data set, it's basically a collection of data points like events or, you know, when X happens, then you respond by Y. But when X happens, there's you that has to make the decision to respond Y. Or you can respond Z or A or B because it's what you thought was fit Mm -hmm. based on what you decided it to be. Well, you know, it's it's interesting. When you and I first talk, discussed about talking about soul leadership, I actually read Deepak Chopra's book, The Soul of Leadership. In his book, he has an acronym for leaders. And he, he breaks it down as to L represents look and listen. E represents emotional bonding. A represents awareness. D represents doing. E equals empowerment. R equals responsibility and S equals synchronicity. And I thought it was so interesting when we sat down to have this conversation because a lot of the things that we've talked about, especially with the last part of what you said, really talked about looking and listening, right? And then you have to have that emotional bond in order to create from a place of intention as well as the the awareness in order to execute for deed for doing. In order to do a lot of these things, you have to be empowered, right? And that form of empowerment comes with a sense of responsibility. And only until all of the other elements are in place can there be full synchronicity. Yes, there's a lot of resonance in that. Operating from your soul naturally allows for empowerment. Mm -hmm. It, It just happens naturally. Now, your brain might fight it, and that's okay. But you're still empowered, and the brain can't take that away. And synchronicity, you can always 
you can always craft synchronicity depending on your resonance, depending on the frequency you're emitting. Because soul leadership means you become and you realize that you are the steward of your frequency. And when you know you're the steward of your frequency and you have you take on, you know, sort of like these hygienic habits that keep your frequency high. Yes, synchronicity happens. Synchronicity happens all the time. It just depends on the frequency you're on. It's very true. Uh, I know that, and you can give confirmation with this too, when you've mentored leaders, Mm -hmm. have you not heard them say that they have an unlimited sense of creativity and they feel much more organized in their power and even how they engage love? They are my mentees, I have to say, floor me (laughs) constantly. They are in the pursuit of truth. They're in the path of truth for themselves, of what that means, and how that then extends to their work and the impact they're making on the world. And funny enough, the thing with love will end up kind of catching them off guard that somehow they've cut off their skills that they have, you know, leading from the soul as engaging with love. So that's become this muscle that they have to start over with a little bit because it gets sequestered. And, you know, when you start compartmentalizing things, this is a function of the mind. And soul leadership doesn't require you to compartmentalize. You can be love anywhere. You can be love in your loving relationship. You can be love at work. You can be love as a leader. And that's a that's a muscle that is not seen a lot. So it's they're willing to develop it, which I'm so grateful for because this is the future of leadership. But it's hard to emulate something that you haven't seen yet, you know? Mm-hmm. And so with them, they do report, you know what it is, just this complete peace and satisfaction with who they are. And a trust with themselves that no matter what they make and create, it contributes, it makes a difference. And that there's just one little part that they have to overcome, which is being the person that can have a partner in their life to allow themselves to receive. A lot of the mentees I've had actually have trouble receiving (laughs) because they're so used to extending effort and giving and being of service you know, love is around receiving someone else's gifts and contributions and their love. And yeah, that, that's an aspect of the soul that is underused muscle, but they're happy to learn how. <laughs> well, very good. Well, thank you so much for coming on and sharing all of this. Is there any last advice that you would like to share with our listeners? I'd invite listeners to keep on building the life of their dreams. I have been there and I get it. And I invite you to also be the steward of your soul because there's really nothing like arriving at the top and realize you don't know where you are and you aren't completely satisfied, you know, on a deep, deep level. And that's really where I invite people to have a look at soul leadership. How do you take care of your soul while you're taking care of your dream? And whatever it takes, go there, do it, have an adventure of it. Well, thank you so much, Alan, for coming on A Holy Living and sharing your insights. Greatly appreciated. Thank you. Thank you for having me.